Welcome to Phanthropological. This week, we are drawing some funny animals. That's right, we're talking about the furry fandom. Hello and welcome to Phanthropological. I am your host for this episode, Nick Z. Uh, with me, as always, usually, is Nick T. I don't have anything clever this week, but I am very excited to learn more about furries with our special guest today. Yes, that's right. We do have a special guest with us discussing this fandom. That special guest is author and artist Sarah Waterraven. Hello. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Um, furry fandom is something that often comes up on the periphery of a lot of the research that we do for other fandoms or has particular depictions in media. But we're hoping that today, with your help, we can get a better understanding of it and also maybe dispel some of those potentially wrong, probably wrong, uh, misconceptions about furries and uh, furry fandom. Well, to be quite honest, um, the misconceptions are accurate. Oh. It, it's, a, it's a very broad community, and so there's it's very double-sided, right? So on the one aspect, you have you know individuals that it's, it's just a fandom, it's just something they enjoy, and then, of course, on the other side of it, you have a large, very huge aspect of the fandom that is, I guess for lack of a better term, you know... A, a fetish part of part of that aspect of their life in addition to being a fandom for them okay well maybe before we dive straight into the deep end mm-hmm. which we're on a dangerous path towards <laughs> would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what furries are and I, I guess in the in the broadest sense yeah so it, it's a very difficult question to answer because to each person the furry fandom seems to be something different and unique People stumble into the fandom in different ways, and it's interesting because as a fandom, we don't have any specific material to draw from. It's more of a conglomerate of different things that have brought people in and created this community that has become a fan, generally speaking, of anthropomorphic characters. Anthropomorphic meaning that we assign human characteristics to things that aren't human, in this case, animals. So in the broadest sense of the term, anyone who's in the furry fandom is a fan of anthropomorphic characters. All right, that's a good start. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit of how you got into the furry fandom yourself. So I've always been a a fantasy geek. Like every everything that I can remember, my first everything would have been some sort of cartoon, right? Um, so like the last unicorn, I saw Vampire Hunter D when I was very young, um, which is kind of scary when you think about it. <laughs> but I also grew up watching all these Disney cartoons, you know, think about like Tailspin, uh, Gummy Bears, mm-hmm. and all of these have an anthropomorphized character, right? either an animal or a mythological creature that has a a human personality or human traits. And I became a huge fan of dragons at a young age, and I was reading Anne McCaffrey's book series, The Dragon Riders of Pern. And the dragons were extremely intelligent, they were telepathic, so 
again, we have, you know, essentially an animal with human-like characteristics. And I fell in love with dragons. So I started reading everything dragons. I started collecting dragon stuff. So I think my natural love for fantasy and, of course, dragons ultimately led me to making friends online that shared similar interests. And a, a friend of mine uh, who unfortunately has um, fibromyalgia and um, doesn't really get outside a lot, because we were online friends long distance, asked me if I would get onto this uh, quote-unquote game called Second Life. Are you guys? <laughs> Sorry, I've got a lot. Game is a strong term for that. It's more like a, a massive chat program with the capability of building and, and stuff like that. But she literally sold it to me by saying, you don't have to do anything. There's no goals. You don't have to unlock any achievements. <laughs> she was like, you can just be a dragon. <laughs> and I was like, get out. <laughs> so I signed up. And uh, I created this dragon character. Back then, it was it was pretty primmy and gross, but um, it was exciting for me, right? This whole concept that I was this character, and when I spoke and typed, this character was me. And sure enough, I would end up meeting furries, because uh, Second Life even today has like a whole sub community of furries, right? Because they can be their sona. Mm -hmm. on Second Life. And at first, I have to be really honest, I was so freaked out. <laughs> I was like, why are they wearing clothes? They have fur. They have scales. Like, I don't understand. And then I would see, like, a snake or a lizard or a dragon with hair. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous because reptiles don't have hair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was extremely judgmental right off the bat. And it didn't occur to me that I was, like, essentially a furry because I was never, like, a human in the game. I was always just this dragon that was essentially mine. And I would eventually make furry friends and see that you could actually make friends and, like, spend time together. And then before you know it, you're sharing memes and YouTube videos. Sometimes we were watching things online together. So I actually made friends that were furries instead of just like what Second Life is probably known for nowadays, like the, the fetish aspect of it. Um, because like being exposed to it at first, that's pretty much all I saw. And it wasn't until years later that I actually made friends. And that aspect kind of went into the background. The fetish aspect went into the backgrounds. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like I was just like, actually it's become like white noise at this point. Like mm. <laughs> even if it's happening, I most of the time don't see it. So. Well, talking sort of very broadly as you've been mm -hmm. about your time in the furry community, <laughs> what would you say was your greatest memory of being in that community? So I think <laughs> this one was another one that I really thought about. I, I actually talked to my friends about this and I was just like, I don't know if I should admit this on a podcast, but we got a really tight knit group going for a little while. Um, and like my friends at this point are all over the world. We have different careers. We're, we're very different. And it's just so strange that this kind of furry aspect is what unites us because for the most part, we don't have anything else in common. But we do like to laugh. So essentially, the meme sharing uh, became, 
became a little bit of light trolling <laughs> where we were just this group that went around and just messed with other <laughs> with other people. And it, it sounds terrible, but it was all in good fun. We never did anything serious, um, but it was just constant jokes. And there's so much capability within Second Life. Like, essentially, you're hanging out like you would be in person. Except you get to shoot each other with weapons, uh, knock each other off a sim or, you know, do <laughs> do whatever the heck you want. And, you know, like somebody would go away and we'd push them into the ocean or, you know, we'd uh, they'd sit somewhere and we would just leave all these objects around them and they'd come back and be like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> so I think that was the best time for me because at the time I was uh, going through some some difficult times Um my husband's mother actually uh, passed away in 2017, so that was very difficult. And then uh, recently my, mo- my own mother um, is ill. They both of them um, had cancer. So we've, you know, we've had a lot of things going on in my real life that were pretty heavy. So to be able to just get with these online friends and there's, you know, they're sending me YouTube links and memes and we're just messing around. It was probably, I would say, the most fun I've had, uh, like in terms of an online community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we started the show, the two of you had mentioned that you'd had the chance to chat very briefly at, at, at Astro, which mm-hmm. is a science fiction convention. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering if there were other conventions where you participated more in the uh, furry fandom as a furry as opposed to as a writer so to be quite honest this is the first time i think as an author in my professional capacity that i've admitted <laughs> that i participated in the furry fandom um and and that has to do with a lot of the stigma around the fandom which as mm-hmm. i've said before having been in the fandom no matter how many times furries might deny it is is a truth um so because of that truth I didn't want people to know me at like as a professional that that was part of my life just because of that stigma. You know, what I write is not what I would call clean, um, but relatively clean. Like I'm not as gritty as, say, um, George R. R. Martin. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not as gritty as like a lot of HBO shows. Um, <laughs> so there was this kind of level of professional innocence that I wanted to maintain. And if I had started to hang out with um, furries publicly, if I like advertised that too heavily, I could have lost readers and fans, right? They might have made assumptions about me that, that I feel are untrue. So it was just something that I always had to keep kind of just online. And I think a lot of people do. I have to say that a lot of the friends that I encounter um, on Second Life, like friends that have I've probably known for about a year or two years, they they won't say that they're a furry, right? They'll have like a furry avatar, and they might even have drawings of their character, but they won't say that they're a furry. They're like, no, I'm not, I'm not a furry. And I think it's the same issue that they don't want that association. So it's. It's kind of tough because on the one hand, you've made friends, you've got a fun community, you like your character, this representation of you that's totally different, uh, the same or different, and yet you don't want other people to know about it. So I think there's, for lack of a better term, a lot of closeted furries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can totally understand that because of the um, associations 
with the furry fandom. So I've never been to a furry convention. Um, my friends have asked me to come before, uh, the ones that do attend conventions, but it wasn't, it just wasn't something that I could see myself going to. And then on top of that, in my professional atmosphere, whenever I'm at a convention as an author, it was just something that was kind of in the background. Like if I met somebody in a fursuit, I might take a picture with them and I'd tell them that I liked their suit. But other than that, I pretty much kept it to myself. I guess there's always an ongoing separation that a, a creator has to make between do I want my fan life to be part of my professional life? But I find it interesting that, um, especially for folks that are furries and make fursuits, because not all furries do that. No, they don't. I, I find it interesting that like people are like, oh, furries, especially because like, we have lots of friends who are cosplayers mm -hmm. and people are like, oh my God, you made that costume? And a fursuit is like a million times more effort. Yeah, it costs several thousand dollars to buy a fursuit. Easy. Yeah. For myself, I prefer more realistic anthropomorphic figures. Like an example of that would probably be, my favorite comic right now is Monstrous by Marjorie Liu um, and illustrated by Sana Takata. And they have anthropomorphic figures in the world building. They're considered uh, ancients, and they were once worshipped as gods, and they're very realistic looking. And when I see a cosplayer at a convention who's in a very realistic type of fursuit, for lack of a better word, um, I love that. Anything that looks detailed, um, try to think of like uh, species in D&D, that, you know, that are animals, anthropomorphic, but they're extremely realistic. They might have, like, a whole religion. They might have a culture. So those things are what really fascinate me, and I like that realistic aspect. But when you look at a lot of other furries in the fandom, they prefer the more uh, cartoonish type of looks, right? Like, um, so we're thinking Zootopia, again, Tailspin, and a lot of Disney, The Rescuers Down Under. You know, everybody kind of came into the fandom differently. Um, so some people might have had a D&D character that inspired them, and then they were like, I think I'm going to check out these other furries and see what else is going on. And then for other people, it was, uh, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are essentially furries, right? So something brought them in, and then they started creating their own characters. I actually meet a lot of people who came from the Sonic the Hedgehog fandom. I see a lot of those type of characters. And then I also see, of course, um, bronies and furries can mix sometimes, but not others. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. I, I've actually, <laughs> I actually laugh because I've heard both groups hate on each other for the exact, <laughs> for the exact same reasons that like, you know, a brony will be like, what a bunch of perverts. And then like a furry will be like, Bro bronies are disgusting. Like, and you're like, okay, um, <laughs> To me, like, My Little Pony is its own fandom, but it does cross over into the furry fandom because not all furries are anthropomorphic. Some of them, like, I, I loved just, like, my dragon, my big, regular-looking dragon, right? Mm -hmm. And then eventually she would have morphed into, like, a smaller character so I can go to clubs. But, I mean, that feral character is, it's a feral form when you're not wearing clothes and all that. Um, when you're just a regular animal, it's called a feral form. So that's where I started. So to me, like, My Little Pony is pretty much just a 
a feral form of somebody's character. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very complicated fandom. It is so, so extensive. I actually created a <laughs> a document. Um, I don't know if you guys can share this kind of thing on your website, but I put I put in different artists. I put in videos, YouTubers. Um, I there's an Anthony Padilla interview in your, <laughs> here. There's a documentary. I mean, it's just so extensive. If you've got a doc and it's available on the internet then we can definitely include it in the show notes okay mm-hmm. perfect yeah i'll put it together somewhere make a pdf yeah because one of the things when going into this episode uh, i try to collect data mm-hmm. uh, even though fan data is usually self-reported it's not super indicative if we get like a reddit survey then we always have to have the caveat that it's like well reddit tends to be more male biased and etc but one of the things that i found just glancing over the cursory information from say the wikipedia page on furry fandom Mm -hmm. was there's this group the international anthropomorphic research project Mm -hmm. that has gone and done probably just broad demographic information collected it about furry fans and i was surprised and i don't know if this is your experience but i'm curious to know um it said that of the people that they studied 78 to 85 percent of the furries identify as male which is interesting because a lot of the fandoms that we look at people would report as being more male oriented but typically are not because um there's all sorts of transformative works that have people that are less vocal i guess so um what i've noticed about the the fandom myself is that there's a a massive lgbtq plus community uh, within the fandom, which I think has always been a draw for a lot of people. Furries in general, for whatever reason, since the start of the fandom, were very accepting of all different walks of life, right? They're just so accepting. And I think that's what's so great about it is that, you know, you can create this character that represents you. And so, for example, if you're a trans individual, you have a character that represents how you see yourself. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're gay or bi, you also feel welcomed because it's such a large part of the community and everybody is accepting. Um, you know, there is a small part that, that isn't, but it is a very accepting community. And from my experience, I have encountered a lot more men than women, uh, those who identify as men. And, uh, I will say that the majority of probably my friends, on Second Life are male, and that's probably why we ended up trolling so much. So <laughs> if, I, if it had just been me on my own, it would have just been flowers and unicorns, but just led down this path. And my friends who listen to this later will know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were on your own, it wouldn't have just been hoarding a giant pile of gold and sitting on top of it. Yeah, I would have just been chilling as a dragon in some roleplay sim, and I would have been like, yes, I'm a majestic <laughs> blue water dragon, you know, and I would have just kept doing that, and then uh, instead it was just like, come to this club, and <laughs> let's see what we can we can uh, stir up, and I was like, okay. So it's it's interesting. So Second Life has that that subculture that I kind of fell into, because a lot of people actually either can't afford fursuits or don't don't want them. Um, and that's probably actually something I should talk about. You guys want to talk about that? Sure. I was about to start asking questions about that, so go for it. Yeah, so um, I do have a friend who's 
a fur suitor, and you know he DJed at conventions, and he's been to uh, even like furry hangouts where you just kind of put on your suit and you hang out, and so that's a that's a huge part of his life. But for me, like I'm not interested in that at all. Like I I I look at fur suits and I think, oh, it's gonna be sweaty, that's gonna be heavy. Like maybe I'm just lazy, <laughs> but um, it's just not something that that interests me. I'm perfectly content uh, either drawing artwork of my own character or just seeing a little avatar on the screen. Uh, But for some people, they want to be their suit. And I think there's a whole culture around suits themselves. So, you know, when somebody puts on a suit very similar to cosplay, they are transforming themselves into their character. And there's a connection there. And when they make that connection... They find themselves more open, more energetic. You know, a lot of people uh, in the furry fandom, uh, some of them might not have uh, an easy time making friends, and that's part of the reason they've come to the fandom, just like any fandom, right? You know, you've got your Star Trek nerds, which I'm one of, and, you know, I love Star Trek, and so when I meet another person that loves Star Trek, there's like this insta-bond, right? We're just like, oh, my God. And so, you know, it's, it's all about that. And we bond. We might not have anything else in common, but that is so strong. So I think when somebody gets their suit and they put it on and they're with other furries, there's just this connect. And they come alive and their sona that they've created comes alive for them. So in the notes that (laughs) in the document (laughs) I'll give you, I actually linked Anthrocon, uh, which is known as one of the largest furry conventions, particularly in North America, they have a dance contest. So you actually in your suit have to dance to music. And yeah, people spend, uh, you know, a year choreographing. I can't even say it right, but you know, the word they're, you know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one. So they're (laughs) dancing and they work on their dance and they rehearse. And sometimes they do group efforts and they, they pour everything into this and they get on that stage and they dance. And chances are that if they didn't have their suit, they may never have done that, right? This is a tiny bit of a naive question. Mm. But from the research that I did, and and you touched on this a tiny bit as well, mm. that um, there's this idea of like furries um, who might be feral and mm-hmm. so uh, trying to represent the their persona as more like the animal itself. How does that work for folks who are in their fursuit, as an example? And... Um, I guess are communicating in a more nonverbal way or do people, for example, these dance competitions tend to, I guess, be in more of a anthropomorphic form when they're, when they're doing that. I will say that I, I have yet to see um, a feral costume on the dance floor, but that's, I mean, I'm sure it's happened, right? Like okay. I'm sure it's, I'm sure they've been in a dance somewhere. What I really want to credit the furry fandom with is just the absolute uh, creativity in the ingenuity, the the just general smarts that go into these costumes. So you can have somebody who does this detailed, beautiful, like realistic looking anthropomorphic costume, or you can have somebody who has rigged a costume so that someone can get in it and, and walk around on all fours in a costume. And like that's that's looks really complicated to me and not not something that I'm interested in. But when I see it, I have to appreciate it because somebody's figured out how to not only like create this suit, but they can move around in it 
and they go through the parade at Anthropon. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm re- definitely reminded of um, having not been to furry conventions, but having been to Anime North, of people who would be like giant dragons or toothless from um, your dragon. Yeah. I saw a lot of furries this year, 2019. I did see quite a few at the convention and I got, you know, I had a little flutter in my heart. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, like (laughs) I'm like secretly like nodding. And then um, there was a, there was a furry that came to my table who had an excellent uh, realistic anthropomorphic bear costume. that I was just like, awesome. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, a lot of people credit um, the Disney Robin Hood movie yep. uh, with the foxes and everything. A lot of people credit <laughs> that for a lot of furries, uh, but uh, he looked like he belonged right in that in that movie. I I, I thought wow. it was adorable. So I'm gonna ask this, but I feel like the answer has already been partially revealed. Hmm. I was looking up Google Trends, which is something that we used to just see. You know how popular is this thing? Because we don't have time to analyze every aspect of human history (laughs) (laughs) and i noticed that in particular interest in furries has gone kind of up over the last Mm -hmm. decade ish but also that it is very 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 popular in a few parts of the world and not as popular in other parts in particular in north america do you have any idea why that may be well, as we know, fursuits are extremely expensive, so I'm not surprised um, that it would be something that we would see more in, say, first world populations. Fursuits are thousands, thousands of dollars. So, I mean, that explains the fursuits to me, um, but in terms of online personalities, I'm not really sure. But I do know in the UK, I think Australia and North America is where we primarily see a lot of furries. In particular, I've noticed a lot of military furries. Like, I think the first few furry friends I made were actually in the in the military. Um, that was years and years ago when I was still like, I don't know about you guys, but that was something that I noticed. I'm not really sure what it is exactly, um, but the strong internet presence would probably explain a lot of it. There is a um, a gamer who I think is a blue fox. Who's doing really, really well, and he's admittedly oh. a furry. Oh, what is his name? I know he's like a Smash Brothers player, right? Yeah, and he's killing it. Um, is it Sonic Fox? I, I, that sounds right. That sounds pretty accurate. So yeah, so he's out there, and then there's um, there's all these where we call them. Oh, I. It's difficult for me to say this out loud. Um, Pop you furs, which is essentially smashing popular and furries together, so popular furries, and YouTube is really, really strong in the furry fandom right now. So we've got a lot of YouTubers who essentially just put on their suit and and talk, and that's about it. Uh, But for whatever reason, more and more people are enjoying that. What what I am seeing, um, and and it's in the dance video that I'll link for Anthrocon, is that there are more children furries, which isn't surprising given that we have so many animated movies and cartoons that anthropomorphize animals. So, you know, just like the, you know, the first generations of furries, they're being exposed to anthropomorphic characters primarily at a young age, and then they're growing up as fans 
of these characters. So, of course, they'll want to make their own. And so we are seeing more of that at conventions, and I'm very curious to see how that changes the fandom. I don't know if it's going to divide it more, or if it's going to make it bigger, or if there's... I don't know what they're going to do, because like we've discussed, there is a large part of the community that I feel is very inappropriate for children, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. There was this... <laughs> Chin scratching. I can't remember if it was a Facebook post or if it was a news article, but it was about this woman who thought she was going to a dog convention and it was actually a furry convention. Oh, I think that happened at Anthrocon, and then she like ended up staying and had a great time. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a really heartwarming story uh, yeah. in a direction that I wouldn't have expected it to go. Yeah, so... Like I said, like the community is so complex and there's a huge part of it that, you know, it is innocent. Um, it's just putting on your suit and having fun and making jokes. And, you know, it's like going to Disneyland, <laughs> you know, instead of hugging princesses, though, you've got all these fun furry characters to hug. And the dances are really good. They always get in really good DJs. Uh, a friend of mine went to Anthrocon this year and sent me clips of the music. And I was like, oh, my God, I need to be at that party. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there was some regret that I didn't go, you know, so maybe next year. But they just they love having a good time. And I'm not surprised because of the friends that I've made. Right. And through the hard times that I've had, you know, they've cheered me up in a lot of ways, just a lot of joking and, and good times. So I was reflecting back on kind of what you'd said about there being children and this, you've got this combination of good times, you've got these older fans, younger fans, etc. And I was wondering, like, because you'd said, I don't know if the fandom is going to like come together or kind of break apart. Is there signs of that happening now? Or is this more about kind of the the divide that you've already mentioned with the like the, the fetish side and the non fetish side, for lack of a better word? So, like, I, I didn't really dive deep into the community probably until this last year, and maybe that's what kind of ruined it for me. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say, like, just when children start coming into this fandom, like, I have concerns, and I have a friend who, let me just give you a little background. I got his permission to kind of give a little background. So he lives in LA, which has a furry community and he's got that LA life. <laughs> and he, he goes to, you know, BDSM clubs and he's really hardcore into all the things that he's into. And he and I had a talk probably last month where we both felt and this was so shocking coming from him because he has sent me the most disturbing things I have ever seen on the internet. And he said, I th I'm thinking about leaving the fandom. It's getting too cringe. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like knowing the things that he's seen and the stuff he's linked me, I'm just like, whoa. It was really a moment for both of us because I was having a similar moment. I had created, like, for lack of a better term, furry accounts where, like, I was on uh, what's called Fur Affinity. 
And I had like a Twitter account and I was following people on YouTube and it had seemed relatively innocent to me so far. And I was like, you know, the fandom is really changing. It's opening up. It's getting broader. You know, we're getting more people. There's more artists. We're seeing more beautiful art. Um, there's all these great YouTubers that are going out there and really dispelling a lot of the stigmas against furries. And then the not safe for work material started pouring into my feed. And then there was a YouTuber, Kiro the Wolf, who got into huge trouble. He was exposed. So the furry community is very much an integrated online community. And, like, there's Telegram and Discord servers uh, and groups. And then there's, like, subgroups. And you kind of get into your little niche in the fandom. And Kiro's niche that was exposed was extremely, extremely disturbing. And I, I mean, I've heard all sorts of rumors, but he hasn't uploaded a video since I've heard any of that. I think I heard something about him being in jail. Uh, my friend that I was just telling you about in L.A., there is a furry who recently went to jail. But it, it's just things that, I, and I guess people will argue, will you have these types in any fandom? Which we've seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's very true. But it's just gotten to such a, I don't know how to explain it. It's just gotten so large, right? And it's just become something that I couldn't get away from. I started seeing tweets about other furries and, you know, what's been going on. And more of that not safe for work material was happening in my feed. So I was like, I just don't think I can do this anymore. There was a moment where I was contemplating, you know, maybe I'll just integrate my professional life and, and this fandom. And I was like, I can't. Just can't do it. Not with all this stuff going on. So I had to let it go. And, you know, that's why I, when you contacted me, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I should do this talk. But at the same time, there's just there's good things about the community. You know, when you watch that video of Anthrocon, you see those kids get up there on that stage and dance and you just wonder, would they have been able to do that if they didn't have their suit? You know, and you see how much fun they're having. And you're so you're so proud of them. And you see the gorgeous artwork that comes of it. And you get material like Monstrous, where you get these excellent in-depth characters that aren't just human anymore. And, of course, my friends that I've made online, whom I'll probably speak to in some capacity the rest of my life, even though, you know, furries and, and having these characters is the only thing that we have in common. Like you just said, it sounds like it's a community that's gotten so big that it's sort of difficult to contain in any one definition. Yeah, you can't really define it. You've got the fursuiters, you've got people mm -hmm. who just like art, you've got the online people, you've got people that do it all. Um, you have people that are essentially out as furries, people who aren't. And of course, we've got that dark chapter which I'm curious to see how you edit it later. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm loving the honesty here. <laughs> so if there are any furry listeners in here, I hope they can appreciate that, you know, it is a broad fandom and there is a lot of conflict for a lot of people like myself and, and my friends who are now like, is this something that we still want to be a part of? Is it, you know, will it change? And then of course, there's YouTubers like, uh, I think it's Beta Ada Delota and Imaginatively Unimaginative that are just showing you 
the sides of the fandom that I've discussed where, you know, people are getting more confident, their persona, their personality has just opened them up in ways that they didn't know they could be, right? Like somebody who stays in and doesn't talk to people and might have a social anxiety, suddenly they've got friends and they're going out and they're going to these conventions and they've got this YouTube channel. So the fandom is so complicated that when I read your questions and that you emailed to me, I was like, I just, I had to keep thinking about it. Thought about <laughs> it for weeks. <laughs> I think this might be a good time to, to ask this. One thing that I was wondering about before we started recording this episode, mm. uh, one of the questions that I had sent was, do you see furries as more of a fandom or a community with similar ideals? And I had asked this because unlike pretty much every other thing we talk about on the show uh whether it's um transformers or uh oh we haven't actually done shira disregard that <laughs> but whatever whatever the topic is mm. it's usually you know there's a there's a canon it, and it may not be a hard canon because people invent their own but it's all based off of something some work that's somewhat concrete and as we've been talking about it i'm less it's less clear to me if it's a fandom, because there's not that same thing to rally behind. Mm -hmm. Which do you see it as? I personally feel it's more of a community. Um, we don't, like, as a fandom, as you're saying, there's solid material to reference. And, you know, I might enjoy Zootopia, but, you know, another furry doesn't care for it at all. Um, and on top of that, like, how the fandom started and what it's turned into today are just so different. And it's just, it's just something that it's going to be, it's going to continue to be called a fandom, but I, I do think it's more of a community because your, you know, your sonas, they're all personal. How you fell into the fandom is different. The things that you like are different. Like some, actually you brought up Shira and uh, you know, some furries might watch She-Ra because there are essentially furry characters in She-Ra, right? Like, some people are like, I need to see everything that has a furry character in it. And other people are like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, like we discussed before, some people are fursuiters and some people aren't. Mm -hmm. I kind of find that distinction perhaps the most interesting. Mm -hmm. Just because with the fursuiters, it kind of makes sense to me, especially as you've been saying, you know, these people... Um, in in specifically that dance video, what they have gone up and and performed if they if it wasn't for these suits, and like as with any sort of other costume, it kind of gives you a level of anonymity, mm -hmm. which can be very helpful and also not so great sometimes. Yeah, but... I, I, yeah. <laughs> if you watch yeah. some of those furry videos, you'll see it. It's not so great being a fur suitor sometimes. Yeah. And obviously the same for cosplayers. So we can look at cosplayers and we can we can all say we know that they're a cosplayer because they wear cosplay, mm -hmm. right? Whereas you look at furries and you're just like, well, you know, the majority of the community does not wear a fursuit. Yeah. Because they're expensive and because they, they choose not to. Sort of in your experience, um, do the people who wear fursuits tend to make appearances outside of the suits? So some, some do, some don't, right? Um, some people want to maintain a, like, they want to maintain a character. So when they're in their suit, they are that character. When they're out of that suit, they're different. And then uh, there was a huge thing not too long ago about 
not wanting to see fursuiters without their their like head on, right? And then people started mm-hmm. saying it was ruining the magic of the fursuits. And so there was a backlash from the fursuiters about how hot it is and you know you, you sometimes you just need to take the head off and get some air right yeah and just about being in their suit for hours um and how difficult it is so it you know and who cares you know like sorry i'm ruining the magic for you but i gotta get a drink you know yeah it just really it really depends everybody's different and if there's anything that we know about this fandom is it, it's extremely eclectic mm-hmm Speaking of it being so eclectic, it seems like part of that sort of comes from the furry community almost being like this umbrella over licensed properties, to use the term, that involve anthropomorphic characters like Sonic the Hedgehog, like Tailspin, like um, Zootopia. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the furry community is where all of those fandoms can potentially meet and cross over. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a term, uh, furry bait. (laughs) <laughs> oh oh so, i can yeah that one makes sense yeah so they're just like how are we gonna get people to spend money you know what furries they have a lot of money they buy all that art they get those suits <laughs> we're just gonna put something in here that's anthropomorphized and sold <laughs> the best example i can think of in recent memory was what was the pokemon that's in in france or sorry which pokemon took place in france x and y the fire Pokemon? No, the fox. Yeah, the fox. Fennekin. Yeah. Fennekin, yeah. That that would probably be a good example of furry bait, right? Yeah, there's a lot of fox furries, and there's, um, you know, kitsune, and, and uh, usually fox are associated with um, fire. Okay. I'm going to ask a couple of silly questions, but I'm hoping that they're softballs. Let's see what I can do. Okay, so fursuits... Most likely furries, pe- people who wear them. Uh, mascot costumes. Some people actually do come into the fandom from being a mascot. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard some stories about that. Uh, but mascots aren't all furries. Yep. I mean, this this isn't uh, an exhaustive exercise in <laughs> in math and set theory, but I'm I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the Japanese word is kimono mimi, but like. People with like cat ears or bunny ears or oh, like Nikos. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we do have some of that in the fandom. Um, it's interesting. Um, I have one friend that if so, when I was originally, like I said, when I was originally on Second Life, I just wanted to be a dragon, and then I fell into this whole community of what do we call them, para RPers, where you just write descriptive paragraphs of of role role play. Um, and so, like, you know, like, I'd meet an elf, and I'm a dragon, and we're in this, you know, castle simulation or something, and, you know, he's talking about his adventures, and I'm just like, I like water. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of my experience for a long time as, like, this role player. But then I forgot your question. It literally just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I was going through just like, okay, this thing is this... Um... Is this per- this categorization broadly probably a furry? And the last one was like uh, you said, Nico. Nico, right? Yes, yes. So, yeah. um, so I made like obviously I'm this giant dragon, and it's difficult for me to fit into a castle. So I essentially do what like like Dragon Lance and D and D do. I gave her like a human form. So I have something close to human form, which we do see. In, in the fandom, you do see characters that have, 
you know, either a tail, some ears, maybe wings, just cute little things about them, but they still have uh, a human face, essentially. Um, you know, like Avatar characters are sometimes considered furry characters. It just depends on who you are and how you define what a furry character is. So one of my friends, though, like whenever I wear that avatar and I've got like, you know, dragon horns and a tail and everything, he's like disgusted. <laughs> he's like, he's like, where's your muzzle? Like, where's your, you know, your dragon face? He's like, it's gross when you're a human. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so for some, so for some people, the furry fandom is like, you need to have, you know, an animal head, essentially and more animal characteristics and, and less human. So sometimes when people have Nico characters, they might not be as accepted as people that are full-blown furry characters. And other times, other people don't care. It's just so broad. Okay. Yeah. I got one more just to toss out there. And this isn't... I'm not intending to be like, oh, haha, furries are funny. I'm just... You're, you've been in that fandom, and so I'm... I'm looking for a perspective that I wouldn't otherwise have. And so the last one I'm I'm asking about is uh like centaur people. Okay, yeah. So I don't understand that at all. Um that's okay. like way beyond me. Like so as a as a fantasy author, I'm like centaurs are cool. I have a centaur <laughs> character in one of my books, like I think they're cool. Um but when I see like a um a cat furry that ha- also has like a, a centaur cat body, so essentially like six limbs on something that should have four, mm-hmm. I, I get really confused. I don't know why a human and a horse mashup in a centaur form is okay for me, but then when I see like a leopard character who's like in cyberpunk gear with hair and glasses, but also has a leopard body attached to that, why that doesn't translate. For whatever reason, something breaks in my mind. But other freaks are fine with it. Okay, so not uncommon then. No, not uncommon at all. There's okay, there's quite a few of those. So Alright. This one is not from the list, I will confess. I'm ready to rock. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> because you're an author mm. and like you said, you know, you you got into fantasy at an early age. Seems like you've probably been immersed in that world for quite a while. Yep. Is there a story that currently exists, or do you think there could ever be a story if one doesn't currently exist that would only really work with anthropomorphic characters? Well, I mean, there's there's so many <laughs> there's so many. Uh, Comics out there, books, um, and, and as you see, shows are incorporating anthropomorphic characters. I mean, we see them in Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, Rocket Raccoon is an anthropomorphized mm-hmm. character. So it's difficult for me to imagine a world where it's just anthropomorphic creatures. I mean, the literature does exist. I just probably haven't read it. Within the furry community, there's, um, you know, if you go to a convention, there are well-known authors and artists who are selling comics, long-running comics, that are all just furries. I'm on uh, Tapas. I don't know if you're familiar with the app Tapas. It's similar to Webtoons. Okay. 
And so Tapas, I think it's tapas.io, and they're a comic and novel platform. So you, you know, you download the app and you can read comics and novels. And there are lots of comics on there that are anthropomorphic characters. And I don't think necessarily that they're considered furry comics. Um, a lot of people are reading those who aren't furries and aren't in the fandom. So it's interesting how it's becoming a lot more mainstream yeah. to see these anthropomorphic characters. And, and like at Ad Astra this last year, my one friend develops uh, tabletop RPGs. And he had his, like, book with him because we were doing a world-building panel. And so he had, like, a book of all the creatures in his books. And he happened to just open the page to, like, a like a fox type of species that was anthropomorphic. And I was like, oh, my, look, furries! And yeah. everybody, started, everybody started laughing. And he was so embarrassed. He's like, we don't do, we don't do furries in our, in our world. And I was like, oh, well, I mean it's still essentially a furry when you think about it. Right. But yeah. yeah, but it was just funny because, you know, we've talked on and on it just about how there's this stigma and how some people don't admit it and all this stuff. So even though you have these characters in, in D and D uh, for example, I mean, I don't think D and D would be like, yes, uh, we, we love furries. Yeah. I know that in Pathfinder. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there's a, a specific kind of tiefling, which mm-hmm. is basically a half demon or devil and human. That's pretty much a grouping of furry characters called the Rakshasa. Mm-hmm. But there's also, um, isn't there like a raven? There's a raven oh, species. Yeah. Tengu. Tengu, yep. Yeah. And then there's yeah. also... Um, Dragon. Dragon. Dragonborn. Dragonborn, yeah. Dragonborn. Yeah. yep. So, I mean, essentially... All of those are, I mean, we could call it furry bait or like gateways, furry gateway drugs right there, right? <laughs> you, you develop your character and then before you know it, you're like, I want to see more characters like these. That's yeah. that's especially funny because Pathfinder and D&D are, are usually like, you know, we don't care. We don't care about, um, or not, we don't care. We It's like, you can be whatever you want. You want to be male, female, non-binary, whatever, gay, straight, bisexual, like you name it, you can make whatever you want, Absolutely. and you can be whatever race you want, or ancestry, or or whatever the terminology for your game is. <laughs> and then it, and then people are like, "Furries are weird," and you're like, "Says the person who's like a dragonborn with a." Like, <laughs> it's just like a weird yeah. reflection of people's behavior. My uh, my friend in LA, the one I've mentioned a couple times, so he is thinking about leaving the fandom, and he's joined a LARPing group. And sure enough, <laughs> he the, the people that he's talking to are all um, anthropomorphic species. And he's like, I just can't get away from it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you did this to yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty funny. Well, like, I don't know if you could be a regular old human or you can be, I don't know, a a character that's super strong or whatever then like why wouldn't you want to do that exactly exactly um you know fantasy is an escapism right through the hardships of life and life is hard and so when you've got this character you can imagine them doing anything being anywhere and i just think that's the draw to it maybe you aren't very social but your character is maybe you're not a great dancer but your character is you know, you're not strong, but your character is. And I just, I think that's kind of the beautiful aspect 
of of the fandom. And and I'm as an author and artist, I'm a, a huge supporter of any sort of creativity. So there was a huge draw to me in the fandom seeing other people's creativity, just like there was when I was like into you know the para role play. Um, seeing these characters that people made, their backstory, their history, and you're and you're just like, wow, why are you writing this down? Why aren't you publishing this into a book or something? And so that was a huge draw for me. And then for some people, they're just like, this this is a cool wolf dude that I like, <laughs> and that's me now. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, sorry, I was thinking about like uh, tabletop role playing games, and I was just like, yep, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Just like, I'm just going to be a cool wolf dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cool wolf dude. Yeah, I'm going to be the scariest mofo in this team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, sounds about right. <laughs> your character is definitely, yeah. Speaking as a tiger guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I was wondering about, and I feel like we've maybe touched on this throughout the episode, mm-hmm. what is something that you know as a furry fan or that furry fans know or experience that non-fans might have no idea about. We often talk about, like, they're kind of blind spots to people outside of a fandom, and I'm wondering what furry fandom has in terms of blind spots. Man, I really don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, normally I would have I would have said the fetish part, but I think that's not a blind spot at no, all. No, everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> I think that... <laughs> The blind spot, the, I can't even speak. Um, <laughs> the blind spot would probably be the depths in which that that uh, rabbit hole goes down, and that unfortunately is why I started to. That's why I decided to keep things separate and maybe pull away and just kind of say that, you know, I'm a fan of anthropomorphic characters, but I don't think I'm going to be a representative of this fandom got it if that makes sense mm-hmm. no i i think that makes sense it's it's creating a a certain level of distance between you and the subject mm-hmm. yeah and and i think that that's the blind spot i mean we we make fun of them and everything uh we make fun of the fandom for for those things i mean unfortunately if you there's a we were joking the other day that like for example if your listeners go to for affinity um and they don't put the um filter on <laughs> to stop the adult content if you wait it's it's a reverse safe search yeah so like well <laughs> yeah you have to put well i can't i can't remember it's either automatically on you have to take it off or it's the other way around i can't remember but if you go over to the website and you start looking at the artwork and you don't even have to make an account uh we were joking that if you played a game where you drink every time you see something that's not safer like that's not not safer work i mean you'd be sober you'd be completely sober there'd be pages and pages of stuff that really should be behind the filter and aren't so (laughs) (laughs) i was that was a really like horrible way to explain the conversation but i think i get the point across it's just it's really hard to particularly on the internet avoid that aspect of the fandom from my experience i once considered twitter a safe zone um, but I was wrong. Oh yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to be talking about furries to realize that that's. Uh, yep, that's. That's very a... true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. But my 
my algorithm right now on Twitter is just like writers. So, and then like all of them are maintaining their professional personality. So I just get a lot of like fluffy stuff. Right. Yeah. And then I made this other account and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I had no idea. This is why all the people from Tumblr are moving to Twitter. It's all Ooh. making sense now. Interesting. I think that's really the only like blind spot that I could I could see. I mean, every fandom's got its fan fiction and its fan art that really push <laughs> push other fans, right? But this one just I don't know if it's the size of the fandom or again it's just that that accepting nature of the fandom, right? That they accept people and acceptance is a is a beautiful thing and and including people and being inclusive. Um, but there are just, there's just no line. There's no line in the sand. And I think that's ultimately what is causing some, some people like myself and my couple of my friends to say, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. Do you think that line will ever be drawn? I'm not sure. I I mean, it has to be at the conventions if, if children are going, right? Yeah. So... And, you know, if the, if the fandom's going to grow and include, we've we've got to draw a line somewhere. And maybe that part will just, you know, go back into the dark parts of the Internet at some point. And that's why I was thinking that maybe there would be a division at some point. <laughs> okay, Sarah, I've got mm-hmm. one last thing I want to ask you. And that is, you know, kind of we talked about all sorts of different things about furry fandom good and bad mm-hmm. uh kind of going kind of oscillating wildly back and forth between the two and if somebody was interested in learning more about furries and furry fandom what's a good place that they could go to kind of get started i know you've got a doc and we're going to include that in the show notes yeah um, but... i think probably the most innocent place to start would be YouTube under Beta Eta Delota or Imaginatively Unimaginative. I think they do a really good job showing you the side of the fandom that's that's just just a fandom that's just fun and making friends and having a good time. And then seeing the Anthrocon dance competition, I think those are are good places to start. Anthony Padilla again does a really good interview. And that's if you want to see, like, just kind of the part of the fandom that I think pulls a lot of people in. Uh, the enjoyment of it, the making friends, creating your character. That's where I would start. Cool. Definitely not on Second Life. Definitely not on first. <laughs> Second Life still has to exist, right? Like yeah, it's, it's got, it's um, I read an article recently, it's got about 60, no, 600,000 active users still. And wow. Majority of, and a good portion of those are, are furries. All right, this is a rabbit hole I do not want to go down <laughs> today. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, Sarah, especially because, uh, sorry, you've you've now linked your professional and and fandom life. Yeah. Uh, we're sorry for ruining that. For well, you. you know what? It was it was like at some point I'm gonna you know end up posting some anthropomorphic creatures or include them in my books, and I thought, well, you know, um, people are rounded, life is rounded. I might as well you know be who i am that is some good advice to live by (laughs) thank you (laughs) but i was also wondering is there anything of your own that you'd like to promote oh sure um so as an author uh, my first series is called detective doherty it's an urban fantasy series 
It takes place in the GTA, <laughs> so in Canada, and it's about a paranormal detective agency uh, run by a kooky middle-aged detective, uh, an extremely arrogant um, vampire, and this kind of, for lack of a better word, a hipster witch that, uh, you know, just kind of stumble through the cases. And I do have my material on tapas as well, if if people aren't able to purchase the novels they can always take a look at them on tapas and uh that's about it really cool my wife has been on a big audiobook kick and i was like is oh i don't have an audiobook yet so <laughs> i it's one of those things where like i'm on the fourth novel of the series and i've i've actually started writing a, a side novel which uh, series which they will come together like, I, like I'm gonna do a team up like Avengers apparently <laughs> and <laughs> so I'm writing this side novel series and that's taken off and now you know people are looking at that series and want to do something with it and I'm like oh my god okay so I'm doing all this writing and, and I'm like one day <laughs> one day audiobook <laughs> I'll get to you I swear <laughs> and I just start writing by dictation and then use the dictation <laughs> oh somebody yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then they went to the store. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And as for us here at Phanthropological, you can follow what we're doing, find out all about us on Twitter. We are Phanthropologic. And on Facebook, we are Phanthropological. And if you, if you want to find any other stuff by The Next Cast, you can go to thenextcast.com or check us out on social media, all at The Next Cast. Um, that's it for this week. I believe next week we will be talking about fans of Steven Universe. So stay tuned for that. Again, thank you, Sarah, so much for taking the time to chat yes. with us. Thank you very much. Of course. It was great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a good time. And uh, for all you listening out there, um, as our co-host G, who is not here, would always say, until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>